Well, it's good to see so many of you here this morning. With uh, a few hundred of us out in Death Valley this morning enjoying the rain and the cool 55-degree temperatures, it's good to see the remnant here still with us this morning. I was uh, intrigued with Dustin's comment about uh, the thought of them walking through the valley of the shadow of death this morning. So I guess we can think of ourselves as gathering by uh, cool pools and green pastures this morning. At least I like the imagery better than a table surrounded by my enemies, so I thought we'd go with that today. So, Well, I wonder, as we get started this morning, what kind of stories are you into these days? You know, whether it's what you find in a really good book or something you see on a screen or on a stage, or maybe in those increasingly rare moments when we take the time to listen as somebody tells their own. We all know what it's like to be drawn into a really good story. And of course, there are stories going on around us all the time. Some great stories, in fact, that for various reasons we sometimes just don't connect with as fully as we do with some others. And we miss a lot of really good stuff. Some of that is simply a matter of time and limitations. I mean, we have connections with more people than we can ever really get to know well. You know, if you do the math, even in a church of this size, if you're going to have two or three really meaningful conversations with a church member every day, it would take you over a year to talk to everybody just once. And that doesn't even begin to talk about the connections we have with people outside this congregation. It's challenging. But even among those that we have more regular and frequent contact with, there are also challenges. Because we've got so much going on in our heads that just seems to take up a certain amount of emotional and and mental space, even though sometimes we're physically present with people, we can find ourselves so worried and troubled about many things. There are any Marthas in the room this morning that we're not always fully present with the people that we are with. And as a result, I think too often we miss the one thing that is needful. Sometimes it's hard to hear the story somebody else is telling when the one that's going on in our head is the one that has our attention. And so at times like that, it's not so much that we don't hear the words that people are saying to us, but rather which story is getting our full attention theirs, or our own. But whichever one it is, there's no question that the stories that have our attention are stories that shape us in amazing ways. The stories that we tell to each other and that we tell about each other and ourselves and our family, even our country. And as uh, the political world has shown us, it doesn't even matter if the stories are true or not. Those are the things that provide us with the framework that we build our lives around and sometimes the lenses through which we see our world. And so it should come as no great surprise to us that one of the most powerful ways that God speaks to us is in a book that is a collection of what? Stories. Largely, stories. What is curious about that, though, is that even though God seems to be quite happy to communicate with us in this way, we have this kind of tendency and desire to want to help God out a bit with this. 
And so we see we can improve on what God has done. And so we try to extract things out of the stories to the extent that if people ask us about what we believe, what do we tell them? We point them to the things that we have extracted. I think we have 28 famous things that we could point people to. Rarely do we point them back to the stories themselves, as if the Bible stories are only there to illustrate what we believe, rather than what we believe being our very best attempts at living out what we're hearing in the stories. And those are not exactly the same thing. You know, this morning I could not figure out why that was such a funny thing that I had said, but I love this dog that uh, our creative visual people have found for us. But that's the trick, isn't it, of listening well? To be able to listen to a story, in this case, God's story, in such a way that we allow it to shape our lives, and not just to allow our lives or the things that we've already decided to shape or in some ways distort the story that God is trying to tell. But you know, just as we can talk about how our stories can get in the way of really hearing what someone else is saying, we could also talk about what an incredible gift it is when you sense that someone has really heard you. Not necessarily agreed with you, but heard you. Or perhaps because you were really listening this time, you actually heard them, perhaps in ways that you never did before. As it turns out, listening well to stories is as much an art as telling stories. And, of course, all of this is a lot easier to say than it is to do. Not only can our preoccupation with our own stories affect what we hear, but the way that our stories themselves are entwined with each other's stories, sometimes entangled with each other's stories, it's sometimes difficult for us to keep things in perspective, even when we're trying to listen. Which is why it's good for us to pause every once in a while and say, okay, so whose story am I focused on now anyway? Mine or the person I'm trying to listen to? Otherwise, whether it's in our relationships with each other or with God, we may find ourselves not only missing some pretty important stuff, but we may find ourselves distorting the parts that we actually do here. Which, of course, is one of the lingering effects of sin that tendency to make everything all about us. Well, one of the places in the scriptures where we get a really good look at how our preoccupation with our own story can get in the way of hearing what God is trying to say is found in the sixth chapter of John's gospel, where John, who is himself a masterful storyteller, presents four different scenes in sequence, which are all tied together by a common thread tied together into one rather compelling story, I think. And if you have Bibles this morning, you're welcome to go with me there to John chapter 6, where the chapter opens with the first of these four scenes that you see, the very familiar account of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, interestingly enough, John is writing many years later than many of the other gospel writers are, and he goes beyond the shorter versions of the stories that we find in the other gospels. Stories that focus on the compassion of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the healing and the provision that he provides for the, for the people that gather. And beginning with verse 5, John gives us some additional insights into what might have been on, what was on the mind of Jesus and his disciples in the crowd that day. A little bit more than you get in the synoptic gospels. Let's notice what he says, beginning with verse 5. 
When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat? It wasn't just the need for feeding the food that Jesus was thinking about that day, we notice, but something else. Uh, see how it goes on in verse 6. He asked this not only, he asked this only, I'm sorry, to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You already get an inkling here that there's a story that Jesus is wanting to tell in the midst of what's going on that he hopes his disciples will hear. Verse 7, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of us to have a bite. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, Peter's brother spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they, among, are they going to go among so many? Philip looks at the situation, and the need is overwhelming. Andrew looks to their resources and determines that they are inadequate. And Jesus, well, verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of bread, of the five barley loaves, and the fish that were, those, were left over from those who had eaten. It's a very interesting story. We've, we've been over this before. We know what happens. Jesus took what they had, which looked like so little in the face of so much, gave thanks, and shared it. And to the surprise of his disciples, not only was it more than adequate, they ended up with more than they started with. It's an amazing story. See, the story that Jesus is trying to tell them here is about the lifestyle of the kingdom. Not only is he feeding hungry people that day, but he wants them to understand a bit of how this works. That no matter how inadequate what we may seem, what we have may seem, when we take it, when we give thanks, when we place it in the hands of Jesus, when we share it for the good of others, not only is it more than enough, but in all the ways that matter most, we actually end up with more than we began with when we're done. Very powerful story. That's what Jesus is trying to say. But because those gathered around him are more focused on their own stories than on his, this is not the story that anybody is hearing. They're hearing a story about comfortable lives. Here is someone that can supply food. They're hearing a story about uh, being free from illness and pain, the healing and teaching that had just taken place. In fact, the indication is that they may be even seeing in the midst of all of this story that's being told a providential opportunity that God has dropped in their laps. We have 5,000 people here now who can see who Jesus is and what he can do. This would be the perfect time to take and make him king. What wonderful doors God is opening before us. Isn't it amazing how our own stories sometimes can completely change the story that God is trying to tell? And so in verse 15, John tells us that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again into a mountain by himself. Jesus dismisses the crowd, sends the disappointed, frustrated disciples to the boat, and goes and decides to take some time to be alone with God.
as well he might want to after a day like that. Which brings us to scene two. When we pick up the story again, we find the disciples have already set off in the boat across the lake towards Capernaum. And that brings us to verse 17. We'll pick up the story there. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters had grown rough. Still caught up in their own stories, they are rowing hard against the elements. They're trying to get to where they're supposed to go. And it's not going well for them. What you know for the disciples must have seemed to be about par for the course for the day. I mean, these were people who had signed on to follow Jesus. They wanted to be a part of this kingdom that he was always talking about. And just when it looked like they had generated the kind of public support that they needed to pull this off, Jesus sends the crowds home. He sends them to the boat and tells them to get in. Talk about feeling like you're rowing against the wind. And so there they are, verse 18. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then it says they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. End of scene two. Now, the first time I read this, I found myself saying, uh, wait a minute. This is not the whole story. Part of the story is missing here. Do you notice what's not in the story? Yeah, so what, what's the deal here? What happened to Peter and his walking on the water stuff, right? I mean, it's kind of odd that John would leave this out of the story, don't you think? It seems like this really is what the story should be all about. I mean, it would be impressive to me. If I was Peter, I would think it would be a pretty important part of the story. Isn't this what it's supposed to be about? And so I decided, let's check the other Gospels and see what we find. And surprisingly, only Matthew, when telling this story, mentions Peter, little, Peter's little adventure on the waters. Luke hardly even mentions the story at all. In fact, we're not sure he really does. He may have been talking about a different story, but in any case, there's no reference to Peter. In Mark, the one place you would expect to find the story, because tradition has been that the Gospel of Mark may actually be Peter's voice that we're hearing, Mark kind of acting as Peter's secretary, or at least collecting Peter's materials. Just as in the Gospel of John, there's no mention of Peter walking on the water, telling the same story. What is going on here? And then it finally began to dawn on me that maybe just maybe, this was not primarily a story about Peter. Maybe it was a story about Jesus. When they were together in rough and stormy water, rowing hard against the wind, the question that was on everybody's mind was not, where is Peter? The question is, where is Jesus? And where is Jesus in the story? Well, thankfully, he's not where so many people who are rowing hard against the elements often assume that he is, and that is moving away from him, them somewhere, which is the reason for the storm, they think. Instead, what we see is that he's moving towards them with words of reassurance that despite their anxieties and despite all that's going on in their head and despite maybe even a sense of abandonment they may have had at that moment, it really is him that's moving towards them. 
they don't have to be afraid. And when the disciples are willing to allow him to do so, it is Jesus who gets in the boat with them. That's what the story is about. It's not about the bold faith of the disciples, but about the faithful presence of Jesus moving towards us, being with us. It's not a story about Peter and his faith experience. It's about Jesus and his faithfulness to the disciples, at least in the way that John tells the story. Now, that's not to say that there are not things that we can learn from Peter's part in the story when we do find it. I mean, Matthew had a reason for recording that. But it is interesting to me that in three out of four gospel writers, apparently this is not the main point. However, not to completely lose track of Peter, if you actually look at his part in the story in light of allowing Jesus' story, not Peter's, to be predominant, there are a couple things that surface that we might otherwise overlook. While it is Jesus that sends the disciples to get in the boat, isn't it interesting that it's Peter who is trying to find some way to get out of the boat? Jesus doesn't stop him. And like many other moments in Peter's life, the most memorable being like the one at the Last Supper, where despite what Jesus had already said to him, Peter is certain that no matter what anybody else does, he will stand by him through trial, hardship, and death. We all know how that story ended. See, more than once in Peter's experience, his story ends with Jesus fishing him out of deep water and putting him back in the boat right where he told him to go in the first place. That may be why in the New Testament we don't find a lot of stories and accounts of disciples holding classes and how to walk on water. But we do hear a lot about the kingdom of God and about people telling God's story and spreading the news of the story that Jesus told. At least that's what we see if we don't let Peter's story or what we wind up focusing on in our own stories get in the way of hearing God's story. Notice how John concludes this scene here in verse 21. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately, it's an interesting phrase, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Disciples had tried to get there by rowing. I suppose you could suggest that maybe Peter tried to get there by walking. But as soon as they recognize Jesus and realize they don't have to be afraid, and they allow him in the boat with them. They were where they were trying to go. You see, letting Jesus into the boat is not only the way you get to your destination. It is the destination. Let me just say that again. Letting Jesus into the boat is not only what gets you to your destination. It is the destination. Scene three. Meanwhile... Still excited and hyped about what had happened the day before, the crowds eventually make their way around the lake and catch up with Jesus and the disciples. And now that they're there on the other side of the lake, there's this conversation that ensues. I'll just hit some of the high points with you of what happens in the conversation. Beginning with about verse 26, 25, 26, right there. Uh, It starts out, verse 25. Jesus, how did you get here? Verse 26, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. To not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Verse 28, they ask him, okay, what must we do to do the works that God requires? 
a question focused on their story. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one who he sent, an answer that turns their attention back to his story. And then like a bunch of good consumers, they continue. Verse 30, so they asked him, well, what miraculous sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Verse 31, Moses gave us manna. What are you going to give us? And Jesus answers in verse 32 by saying, listen, guys, Moses didn't give you anything. God did. And it's the bread that God gave you that you ought to be concerned about. Verse 34, they say, well, okay, then give us some of God's bread. And in verse 35, Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still have not believed. See, I believe that Jesus is telling them this is not about your story and about what you're getting out of it. It's about my story and what I'm putting into it that you get to be a part of. That's what you get out of all of this. You get me. You get to be part of my story. You know, I can almost hear Pastor John echoing a few weeks ago, you know, God is enough. Well, and and as you know, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, being a part of God's story brings with it wonderful moments of healing and wonderful moments of restoration and wonderful acts of provision. The 5,000 all experience that. But you also know, even though we are part of God's story, that sometimes it doesn't always go the way we hope it will. Sometimes broken things stay broken. And with Paul, who prayed repeatedly for healing from difficult and painful circumstances in his own life, sometimes we find ourselves having to say, as he said, his grace is enough for us. But knowing that however our own stories seem to go and knowing that God is intimately aware and responsive to what we are experiencing, it is not in our own stories that our hope lies, but in the grace and the love and the faithfulness of his story and the privilege we have of getting to be a part of that. To put it another way, it's not in who we are at our best or our worst, but in who he is and in his story, that our hope resides. But when we read the Bible as if it's all about our story, when we make it all about us, whether it's us individually or us as a church or us as a nation or us as whatever it is, it can also hinder our ability to clearly hear the story that God is telling. See, when it's all about us, our focus and our energy goes into questions like, What do I need to do to be saved? How will I be able to stand at the end of time? How am I doing? Am I going to be good enough? Do I know the secret things that I need to know, the answer to the prophetic riddle that will give me the key to what I need to... How many other people who are also all tangled up in their own stories do I need to rescue out of this deep, dark world that, you know, and you know how the rhetoric goes. In some cases, even church and spiritual life becomes all about shopping for the best product to enhance our own story, right? Moses gave us manna, what are you going to give us? Where's the place that offers me the most for my story? But then in the midst of all of this, Jesus says, if you'll allow me to paraphrase him just a bit, 
come to me, all of you who are so caught up in the anxiety and weariness of your own stories, and I will give you rest. Take up my story and learn from me, and you will find a new way to live. All of which brings us finally to scene four in chapter six, which we'll pick up already in progress here in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Jesus seems to be asking, is your spiritual life really mostly about your story? Whether or not you are getting what you want from God? Rather than responding to the kind of person that God is and then getting to be a part of what God is all about? Am I, knowing me and being part of my story, really not enough for you? And then, in probably one of the saddest moments in the ministry of Jesus, we read this in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Their concerns about their own stories had made it so that they could not really hear his story. They had missed the forest for the trees. And so Jesus turns to the 12 and says to them, so you do not want to leave too, do you? And then Peter, in one of his better recorded moments in the scripture, responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. As much as his preoccupation with his own story and maybe sometimes our preoccupation with ours gets in the way of hearing what God is trying to say to us sometimes, at least at this moment, he knew that his life was bound up with someone with a story that was much bigger than his own and that that was the story he was going to stick with. It was his story and he was sticking to it. It's the kind of realization that Paul had come to when reflecting on his own life and his own story. He finally declared, for me to live is Christ. And it's what Jesus still invites us and longs for us to discover as well. The story that Jesus told and lived was not one of God simply making our lives smoother and providing us with lots of great perks for being a Christian. It wasn't even one of testing us in a doctrinal maze to see if we can pass with all the right answers and somehow survive the end of time and find an escape hatch into heaven and kind of ignore the world that we're living in. But it was one of inviting us to come and to be a part of his story right now and knowing that our lives and our stories are safe and secure in his. We don't have to waste a lot of time and anxiety over our stories. When we come to him, they are safe. And then we're able to pour our lives into living and loving others as he did. Loving God, loving people. Realizing that it's not so much that God wants to be a part of our lives, so much as it is that he invites us and longs for us to come and be a part of his life. Maybe less focused on trying to walk on water 
and more I'm letting him take his place in the boat alongside of us or us alongside of him as we allow our stories to be swallowed up and then find their real meaning in his. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful this morning that we have the privilege of being a part of the most incredible story that has ever been told in this universe. For the privilege of being able to be a part of the story that you are telling in this world and in our lives, we are grateful this morning. Thank you for the assurance we have that our stories are safe with you. We pray that your story may be safe with us and that you may help us to live that out in all of its fullness. It's our prayer this morning in Jesus' name.